Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Jared White Show, recorded May 22nd, 2019. I'm your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. I have some very exciting news for you today. This week marks the one-year anniversary of The Jared White Show. That's right. It's been a year, 365 days and counting since the first episode was released. And I have a link to that episode in the show notes. Episode one, The Moment I Fell Into the Fisher. It was an episode about the Kickstarter to get Mist 25th anniversary collection out the door, all the Mist games updated for modern computers. Uh, that was a successful Kickstarter, and I had a lot of fun playing through the Mist games once again with my children, which was super fun. I have young daughters that are now total Mist fans. In fact, <laughs> this past weekend, I actually got to go to a local Portland area meetup of mist enthusiasts and brought the kids with me and we all had a grand time. So anyway, long story short, this podcast is the one that has stuck around when all others haven't for me. I've done four different podcasts prior to the Jared White show and never got more than a few episodes in. And this one is just on a roll. So I'm very excited to be celebrating the one-year anniversary, and my plan, my, my super secret plan, which I will now tell you all, <laughs> so it's no longer a secret, I guess, is my plan is to get to 100 episodes and then contact every podcast network and host and guest and anyone I can possibly think of and get on another show with some other folks talking about, who knows, any number of possible things. Um, but I really want to get on some other podcasts, but I feel like this show is an opportunity for me to experiment, to improve my craft, to improve how I communicate through the podcast medium. And so that's the goal. Get to 100 episodes and then who knows? I have a bunch of topics for you today on the show and a couple right off the bat here in the meta segment. The first one is how I have gotten into this kick of repurposing old tech for new uses. And I fully admit this is somewhat inspired by Stephen Hackett and all of his great work over at 512 Pixels. Uh, he is a renowned collector of old Macs and other ancient gear, and even a collector of old articles about Mac stuff. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a great historian of, of the Mac platform. And what I did is I took an old iMac G5 from the early 2000s and got it up and running again. And uh, the, the hardware still works fine. I don't have any problems with it. Um, but honestly, the biggest hurdle when you try to run an old computer for anything useful is how do you connect to the web? Yes, the open web is really the gateway to so much. And if you don't have a decent web browser, it's hard to get much done. But thankfully, there's a port of Firefox for Tiger and the G5 processor. That's called 104 Fox after 104 Tiger. 
And uh, there's a link in the show notes to that if you're interested. But basically, it is a fully-fledged version of Firefox that you can run in Mac OS X Tiger on uh, an old Mac. And so my iMac G5 is all set up with that now. And it's pretty cool. I have it out in my living room. And when I'm doing dishes or straightening up or, you know, whatever odd chores, I can actually uh, run my iMac G5. And it's my podcast listening station when I'm just doing stuff. (laughs) So, you know, yes, I could have earbuds in. Yes, I could you know, put my iPad on or whatever. Um, But the iMac G5 has pretty good speakers. They're pretty loud. And uh, I can't afford to buy a HomePod right now. And it's kind of fun just to run this old computer and pull up podcasts from Relay FM and elsewhere and listen to them. Uh, I've tried to play some videos on YouTube. I kind of got it working, but the frame rate is just terrible. It's so jerky. So um, so it's going to be hard to do much if you want to play videos. But if you just want to play audio or just kind of generally read articles or log into whatever, I was actually able to log into my, my personal Nextcloud server and upload some old files from my Mac G5 that I realized I'd never officially archived, stuff I'd worked on ages ago. So, uh, so it's pretty cool to be able to just you know, log into the latest cloud storage solution and upload some files right from my old iMac G5. So I've been having a lot of fun with that. And then also I have an original generation iPad and something had gotten goofed up with it where, I don't know, maybe my kids were just randomly punching buttons too many times. But I ran into that same issue that you've seen on the web, maybe uh, <laughs> the guy that, that had an old iPad and it ended up saying, you know, this iPad is now disabled. Try again in 30 billion, 625 million, blah, blah, blah minutes. <laughs> and you're like, what? So that happened with my original generation iPad. So I was able to get it plugged into iTunes on my Mac, my my new Mac, which is wild. And uh, yes, I still have a 30-pin cable, and the iPad turns on and everything. So I just uh, connected it up with iTunes and said, I want you to reset the system software on this iPad. And the crazy thing is that worked. That actually worked. I was able to completely reinstall, reset, whatever, uh, the original generation iPad from 2010 and uh, got that set up. Now, an original iPad with no third-party apps on it really doesn't do much. So (laughs) I don't know, there's not much utility there. And unlike on the Mac, you can't install a newer web browser, you can't upgrade Safari or anything like that. So uh, so an original generation iPad running, uh, I forget, iOS 5, maybe, uh, is really limited, you can't do much of anything useful on it. But it's really fun to just mess around with it. And uh, it's kind of mind boggling when you use an original iPad and then you use a brand new iPad Pro and you compare the two, you realize, you know, how much they got right on that original iPad is astounding, just like they got so much right on the original iPhone. So, you know, the, the first gen of those products, while very limited in many ways, in some other ways are are still amazing and magical even today. And finally, in my rundown of repurposing old tech, I now have some old iPhone tech on me kind of unexpectedly. Uh, I had been using an iPhone 7 Plus for a long time, ever since that generation of iPhone came out. And I was still really happy with it. I was still 
really happy to use that phone. Uh, but the battery life was starting to suffer, and I was starting to think about, you know, I, I really need to upgrade to a new iPhone soon or replace the battery. So I was kind of waffling on what to do, and I figured, you know, I'd just wait for whatever, whatever the new iPhones will be this fall and probably just get one. But uh, then I ended up dropping my phone and cracking the screen into a bunch of pieces. <laughs> so kind of forced my hand. So then I was faced with the choice of, either buy a new iPhone now or replace both the battery and the screen on my iPhone 7 Plus. And I I decided, you know, I should just get a new iPhone. I should just take the plunge. So I got an iPhone XR coral color, and I really, really like it. I really like the XR. I like the XR line better than the XS, to be quite honest with you. I'm not a fan of the OLED screens. I just find there's some weird color shifting going on that makes text hard to read. Uh, I think I've talked about this before. Um, I'm just, I'm not a fan of the OLED screens. I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's, maybe it's the way my glasses interact, interact with the colors, or maybe it's just a weird artifact of how they look in Apple stores. Maybe I'd get used to it if I had it in my home, but for whatever reason... I do not like those OLED screens. And of course, the uh, 10S line is really, really pricey. And so I just got the 10R. And with the exception of not having a two times zoom lens like I used to have on the iPhone 7 Plus, uh, really, that's the only thing I feel like is missing. Everything else is awesome. I love all the new gestures. Not having a home button is totally fine. Love Face ID. I'd already gotten used to that from my iPad Pro. So having Face ID now on my iPhone is tremendous. Uh, the camera it does have, it's really great quality. Um, anyway, I'm very happy with the iPhone XR. I don't mind that I had to get one now. But I still want to get my iPhone 7 Plus working. I don't want to just trash it or recycle it or whatever. I want to get it working again. And I want to be able to use it. I want to be able to to have it around as a backup phone or whatever. I don't like just getting rid of old tech and not being able to use it anymore. So um, so that's my plan is to get the screen replaced, to get the battery replaced, um, hopefully sometime in the next couple of months. And then I'll still be able to have that around for fun or on a rainy day. I'm curious, what kind of old tech have you repurposed? What sort of things do you still enjoy using? Do you have an old Mac lying around or an old PC or some ancient game console from the 90s that you still like to play with or, or whatever? Uh, I know uh, in the world of, of synthesizers and electronic music, old gear is actually extremely desirable now. And people are even going back to vinyl now for listening to music. Uh, I don't know. I, f- I feel like retro tech is an in thing now. And many ways. So I'm really curious what you're into. Please let me know. Just shoot me an email, jared at jaredwhite.com. Next topic, Steve Jobs and the open web. Yes, those are two concepts you don't hear together too often. (laughs) I think uh, a lot of people have the perception that Steve Jobs wasn't really interested in the web. And in fact, a lot of the things he did at Apple Uh, on the surface seem like they were sort of uh, at odds with the open web. When you think of, you know, major web companies of the 90s into the 2000s, you rarely hear Apple mentioned. But uh, I think Steve Jobs had a lot more insight into the web than people give him credit for. And I'm going to base this partially on an incredibly insightful article that was published at Wired back in 1996 
This was before Steve Jobs came back to Apple and revolutionized everything there. So he was still at Next, and uh, Wired did a very detailed profile on him. It's called Steve Jobs, The Next Insanely Great Thing. And you actually see quotes floating around today attributed to Steve Jobs that are uh, originated in this article. So I just went to the source and read through the whole thing. And um, he, he talks about a lot of different things. You know, he talks about the desktop computing world at that time. And, you know, Microsoft won and everyone else had gotten crushed. And so he's pretty pessimistic about that. Uh, but the thing he's optimistic about sort of as a corollary is uh, the rise of the web. And he really felt like the web was going to loosen the lock that Microsoft had on the computing landscape. And he was actually betting the company on it. He's betting Next on the web and the rise of the web. Uh, Next was promoting using their object-oriented technology that they'd, they'd originally invented for the desktop. Uh, they were bringing it to web servers in the form of web objects. And Steve Jobs was really promoting that. Now, web objects never became a successful technology, broadly speaking. But it did echo much of what we would later see in web development frameworks. You know, Ruby on Rails, for example. Ruby on Rails was extremely object-oriented using the Ruby language, which is totally object-oriented. <laughs> and Steve Jobs' contention back in the 90s was uh, that Next had the best object-oriented programming environment around, and Web Objects was an attempt to bring that object-oriented programming mindset to uh, website development and web applications. And of course, we all know that once Apple bought Next, all of Next's object-oriented programming technology became the basis for Cocoa and later Cocoa Touch. And, and now we have one of the greatest computing platforms the world's ever seen in both iOS and macOS today, uh, all based on that object-oriented technology. So Steve Jobs is not wrong. He was wrong about web objects itself, but he was not wrong about the concept or the you know, how, how good that technology was. Uh, and in regards to the web, there's a few quotes I want to read to you just straight out of this article, because I think they're really fascinating. You have to remember, this is back in 1996. So even though a lot of what he's saying seems completely obvious now in hindsight, back in 96, it was all but obvious. So just keep that in mind as I read these quotes. Uh, so the interviewer asks Steve, who do you think will be the main beneficiary of the web? Who wins the most? And Steve Jobs says, it's commerce. People are going to stop going to a lot of stores, and they're going to buy stuff over the web. <laughs> uh, yeah, you think? <laughs> um, so yeah, back in 96, Jobs predicted that the web was going to completely revolutionize commerce and that uh, people would stop going to a lot of stores and buy a lot over the web. And as we see now today, uh, that indeed has had a transformative effect. Steve goes on to say, The best way to think of the web is as a direct-to-customer distribution channel, whether it's for information or commerce. It bypasses all middlemen. And it turns out there are a lot of middle persons in this society, and they generally tend to slow things down, muck things up, and make things more expensive. The elimination of them is going to be profound. I find this quote interesting because as you read through the article, Steve isn't kind of putting forth this sort of grand utopian, you know, freedom for all sort of uh, 
techno, <laughs> techno futuristic vision like some other people did at the dawn of the web. He's talking in very pragmatic terms. Basically, he's saying the web isn't necessarily going to change, you know, the fact that you'll have lots of big companies and you'll have, you know, big business in America the way we usually see it happening. You know, it's not necessarily going to change that. Like, you know, some companies will fall, other co companies will rise. But what the web will do is it will really streamline how information and goods get distributed. You know, it's going to bypass all these middle persons. And that's going to have a major effect. And that's exactly what we've seen. You know, we've seen the rise of companies like Amazon, where you just click a button and the next day something arrives in your mailbox, or maybe even the same day. And, uh, you know, this process of, of ordering and getting those, those items distributed to them has been streamlined tremendously. Um, Apple itself has pioneered a lot in the way they've... Uh, use the web as a distribution channel for their goods and, of course, for information. You know, this article from 1996 is way before you have the web distributing music, distributing video, distributing all kinds of content and, and even apps, you know, direct distribution of software from providers of that software to the people running that software. Um, so, you know, basically what he's saying here is exactly what we've seen with how the web is working today. Another quote, it is a leveling of hierarchy. An individual can put up a website that, if they put enough work into it, looks just as impressive as the largest company in the world. I love things that level hierarchy, that bring the individual up to the same level as an organization, or a small group up to the same level as a large group with much greater resources. And the web and the internet do that. It's a very profound thing and a very good thing. I love that quote. I think that's fantastic. Um, Steve had some thoughts about Java back in the 90s. Sun was really pushing Java as a technology that you'd run on top of the web. You know, you'd have all these Java applets in your web browser that would do all, all kinds of things. And um, Steve was very much against that here, and he has really good reasons. So I'll let you, uh, I'll let you listen to what he has to say. In my opinion, in the next two years, it's dead wrong because it may slow down getting to ubiquity. And anything that slows down the web reaching ubiquity allows Microsoft to catch up. If Microsoft catches up, it's far worse than the fact that the web can't do word processing. Those things can be fixed later. There's a window now that will close. If you don't cross the finish line in the next two years, Microsoft will own the web and that will be the end of it. Now, it's interesting because Java did not get very far on the web as a proprietary technology, and Microsoft actually ended up not getting too far with pushing their proprietary technology on top of the web. But another company did. Another company got very successful pushing proprietary technology as a plug-in on top of the web, and it was called Flash, Adobe Flash. And guess what? Steve Jobs had some thoughts on Flash. <laughs> I'll get to that in a couple minutes. One more quote from this article, uh, he was talking about technology and education, and he was, he was kind of saying that there was a lot of good things to come of it, but, you know, it wasn't all rosy, it wasn't all peaches and cream, and um, in fact, this entire article, it's interesting that Steve Jobs was kind of alternating between optimism and pessimism with where technology was headed. I find that really fascinating from somebody all the way back in the 90s. Um, but anyway, he has an interesting quote here regarding education. Lincoln, a.k.a. President Lincoln, 
Lincoln did not have a website at the log cabin where his parents homeschooled him, and he turned out pretty interesting. Historical precedent shows that we can turn out amazing human beings without technology. Precedent also shows that we can turn out very uninteresting human beings with technology. It's not as simple as you think when you're in your 20s that technology is going to change the world. In some ways it will, in some ways it won't. Fascinating stuff. Um... Circling back around, though, uh, you know, so all that stuff Steve was saying about keeping the web open so it isn't controlled by Microsoft or isn't controlled by Sun with Java or whatever. Um, he later said some very similar things when he wrote his groundbreaking open letter, Thoughts on Flash. Uh, he wrote this in, I believe, 2011 or, or maybe it was late 2010. And it was basically to address a bunch of criticism, a lot of which was generated by Adobe at that time and its minions, <laughs> uh, criticizing Apple for not allowing Flash plugins to run in the web browsers on iPhone and iPad. iOS did not have any support for Flash. And you have to remember, on the web back then, about 10 years ago or so, there was a lot of Flash. You would go to a lot of websites and practically the whole web page would just be this embedded Flash plugin and you'd have all this flashy content. And it was this totally proprietary technology and a lot of uh, video playback. And in fact, pretty much all video playback uh, up until open standards like H.264 became ubiquitous. Uh, video content was done in Flash. So Steve Jobs came out and wrote this letter where he's basically saying, the future is open standards with HTML5 and H.264 video codec, et cetera, et cetera. And Apple's leading the way to promote these open standards. In fact, Apple's paved the way uh, with the, the WebKit browser engine that's open source that Apple was working on and that powered Safari. And that was the future, especially on mobile. And uh, Adobe has to just suck it up and realize that that's where the future is headed and they should just provide creative tools for building experiences in HTML5, not the proprietary Flash runtime. I really can't overstate how important this open letter was when it came out. Uh, I say groundbreaking because it really kind of just dramatically altered everyone's perception of where the web was headed at that time. You know, HTML5 at that point was really quite new and it was unproven. And I think you know, a lot of people in the, in the creative space and in the web tech circles were kind of scratching their heads trying to figure out, you know, can we use HTML5? Can this replace Flash? Should we just keep building things in Flash? You know, Flash is a lot easier and more powerful in some ways. Uh, you know, there's... There was, a fair bit of, I think, malaise or confusion around the web and, you know, sort of this evergreen browser situation we have now where browsers continually update themselves with new web platform features. That wasn't a thing back then the way it is now. Uh, so, you know, there was just a lot of sort of muddled thinking around the future of the open web in terms of its underlying tech stack. And for Steve Jobs to come out and say, we're not going to support Flash on this hot new mobile platform. If you want to develop cool stuff for websites, use HTML5, use open standards. That's what we're promoting. That's what you should do. And if you want to do something you know, extremely interactive, like games or other specialized uses, you know, hey, we have this cool thing called an app store. We have great developer tools for our platform. Check that out. <laughs> 
And he's absolutely right. That's exactly what's happened. The open web has flourished with uh, HTML5 and all that's come out of that sort of revolution. And it's amazing what you can do on the open web today. And it's also amazing what you can do with native apps using Apple's developer tools. And Apple does a good job, I think, in providing you know, both paths. Uh, they've gotten criticized in the last few years in a few ways about not necessarily promoting web apps that can run well on iOS. But uh, I, think they're, I think they're making strides towards that. I think uh, progressive web apps uh, running on iOS is going to become easier in the next year or two. Um, the last few point releases of Safari have really added a lot for that. But anyway, uh, all this to say, uh, people don't often think of Steve Jobs and the open web together as being uh, bedfellows. But I think if you actually read what Steve Jobs said both in the 90s and basically almost up till his death about the web, if you actually see what he thought about the web and uh, how uh, Apple and Next before it uh, approached the web, I think you'll, you'll find that there's a lot more to admire from the standpoint of open web technology uh, than, than Apple and Steve get credit for. That's it for the meta segment. Uh, real quick, just a few links here. Um, Hello Weather is an iOS app that I've really enjoyed using. I think it's a fantastic weather app for both iPhone and Apple Watch. Their recent Apple Watch app, it actually is quite recent that they came out with an Apple Watch app, and it's my favorite weather app on the watch by far. Um, but one thing I actually ended up looking at was their privacy policy because they are asking for you know, access to location data. And in the past where I would just say, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. You know, this day and age, I'm actually like, hmm, what are you going to do with my location data? And so I looked up their privacy policy and it, it's actually really awesome. Uh, I'll just read you a little bit of it. They, they, you know, sort of summarize it in plain English here, which is fantastic. So they say, in short, we've got your back. Our goal is to make an excellent weather app for you, not to track you. We don't want to know anything about you unless you contact us yourself. And that last sentence was in bold. To that end, we collect and retain the least information necessary to send you a weather forecast and debug any occasional problems that might arise. We don't track individual users in any way. Our server keeps a log of weather forecast requests, but these aren't so associated with a specific person. And they go on, blah, blah, blah. They delete logs from their server after a couple days. They don't sell data to advertisers, blah, blah, blah. They think that's gross, don't want anything to do with it. Anyway, this is a fantastic summary of a privacy policy. This is the best thing I've seen by far <laughs> in just this little weather app. So hats off to Hello Weather. They're doing the right thing. And if you're interested in getting a weather app for your iPhone or Apple Watch, check out Hello Weather. I highly recommend it. Next up, uh, a cool little uh, experiment on GitHub. This is a WebGL fluid simulation. Uh, so you can just go to this web page on your iPhone, on your Mac, or other computer of choice. It should work everywhere. And uh, tap or drag around, and you get all these really amazing fluid simulations with colors and all kinds of cool little fractal bubbly things coming out and there's a bunch of controls to to play around with it and if you're interested there's actually a, a sort of improved uh, 
up-to-date version of it as an actual app you can download from the App Store, Apple App Store. Uh, so I put that on my phone as well. It's just like a fun little thing to do. You know, if you're bored and don't have anything else to do, you can just play around with fluid simulations. <laughs> um, but I like the fact that the WebGL version on the web works great. It's it's just as fluid haha, as the, the native app version. Next up, this is another fun little experiment on GitHub. <laughs> it's called Zuckerberg.smile. And it's just a photo of Zuckerberg, uh, I think at his congressional hearing a while back. Uh, and there's a little slider. And if you drag this slider back and forth, he goes from kind of looking like unhappy with a little bit of a frown to a fun little smirk. And you can just go back and forth, frown, smirk, frown, smirk. And it kind of morphs back and forth. And I just find this hysterical <laughs> that you can play around with Zuckerberg's smile on a web page here. It's so funny. So that's highly recommended. And last link here. I'm very excited that Portland is the first city in America, the first to offer Apple Pay Express Transit integration. So now you can have a hop card, whether a real one or a virtual one that you create now, but you can have a hop card uh, and you can add it to your Apple wallet. And then you can just go up on, on a bus or by a train station or whatever and just go boop and it just deducts uh, value from your hop card for that ride. And so this is something that Apple's rolling out in a bunch of cities. So you can just use your phone or watch to, to boop yourself onto a bus or train or whatever very easily. Um, but um, Portland's the first city to do that. So yay for my, my adopted city that I love. And uh, I'm glad that we get to do this. Um, I haven't actually tried it yet. It's brand new, but I'm hoping to in the next few days. And that's it for the link segment. And then the final part of the show here, creator of the week. Wow, that sounded weird. Why did I say creator? <laughs> creator of the week, Taylor Glenn. Uh, Taylor Glenn, I found out about her through a Reddit post that blew up. Uh, it was this funny little video gif kind of thing of her just juggling in a field and some crazy guy all of a sudden just runs by and grabs all her juggling clubs and vanishes. And so she's like, I'm going to get him. So then he's juggling in a field and she does some crazy thing on him. And basically they're doing all these like wacky competitive uh, spoofs and pranks on each other. All great fun. Uh, this blew up on Reddit and uh, I was able to find a link to the original source. And it's Taylor Glenn's Instagram where she has tons of cute little videos with all kinds of juggling tricks and uh, it's just really fun. I, I find juggling to be magical. I am terrible at it. I have no idea how people do it. It's completely baffling to me how anyone can be a juggler. It's, it might as well just be magic. So watching her work her juggling magic with little Instagram videos is a heck of a lot of fun. And uh, yes, I know it's on Instagram. So, you know, take necessary precautions if you need to you know, get all your privacy plugins and private mode and everything else set up to view it. But <laughs> it's well worth it watching these fun little juggling videos. So that's our creator of the week, Taylor Glenn. 
And that's it for this celebratory one-year anniversary episode of The Jared White Show. As always, you can go to jaredwhite.com slash podcast for more information about this episode and other podcast episodes. And you can also go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash essentiallifejared to become a supporter of this show. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye.